Good morning. Thank you, Mike. I don't know whether you did this on purpose or not, but the songs you chose today are just so perfect for a, uh, <clears throat> for a preacher, especially preaching the particular word that we're doing today. They inspired me, the, the words of truth that were in those songs uh, were lifted up. And as many of you know, I'm a professional musician by trade, just a, a pastor by, by passion, as Pastor Curtis used to so often say. I'm also grateful to the saints for praying for me this week. Everybody knows who knows me. I'm scared to death to get up here, and, and I love it at the same time. It's one of those things like sorrowful but always rejoicing. It's terrified but excited to get up here and, and preach the word of truth to you. So I'm grateful to you. Uh, today's sermon text, by the way, can be found on page 953 of the New Church Bibles. And it's the only page I'm going to refer to today, my apologies, because I'll be scooting through uh, the cross-referencing scriptures that I'm going to quote. So uh, you won't really have to turn to those today if you do not want to. You can if you're fast. Uh, hopefully I won't get talking too fast when I'm quoting those scriptures, but you can make a note of them. So again, page 953 for today's sermon text. So Pastor Eric is off today, hopefully enjoying a much-deserved day off. So once again, I get to get up here and, and get the privilege of preaching God's word to you. And, and I'm preaching through the epistle of 1 Peter. I'm getting up here once every couple of months now to preach God's word. So if I stay on track I should be able to finish that epistle at about age 95, <laughs> or perhaps from glory, uh, which you won't need me to do that anymore if you're in glory. So, uh, so we need to go to the Holy Spirit and ask for power and guidance in getting the message right on behalf of the speaker, um, and power on behalf of the listener, so that God's Spirit can open up the heart of the would-be believer and open up the heart to hear and open up their eyes to see God's words of truth so that you can be properly shepherded if you're a believer and so that you can be saved, as it says in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we believe here that's through the words of the Bible preached or from any friend, relative, anybody who wants to try to bring you into the body of Christ by preaching the gospel to you based on what the scriptures actually say. So let's pray together now before I even start. Father God, I thank you for this great and glorious day. What a great day. I thank you for the weather in its due season. You know when we need the rain, and you know when we need the sun. I thank you for the fellowship of the saints here today coming together, Lord, to offer up praises of song and great fellowship loving each other to glorify your name. I pray for the word to be delivered properly with truth, passion, and courage so that souls can be saved by the preaching of the word and the congregation can be properly exhorted all in order to bring glory to your great and holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, who saved us that I pray. Amen. Well, not quite a year ago, I began preaching to you all from the epistle of 1 Peter. I don't know if you remember or not, about nine months ago, I think. And uh, since I don't preach every week, I'd like to go over a little recap here. Uh, first, I preached from 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2, and simultaneously that day, 14 to 19. And I covered the fact that all we saints, that is all we 
who are born again into Christ Jesus are exiles here on this earth. This earth is no longer our home. It's no longer our home. We're aliens here. Remember that, kids? Your parents are aliens. They're not from this planet anymore. And as exiles here, we're to act in a holy manner. And the only way we can do that is by being born again. But also, God asks us to participate in that, acting in a holy manner. So that's part of our sanctification, to resist sin. And secondly, a few months later, and actually this is just a few months ago now, I return to the epistle, uh, to chapter 1, verse 3, part of our text today, to begin telling you about our living hope. Our new and living hope, I called it. The hope that we now have due to being made alive in Christ. And now, having been given a brand new life, we can say that we truly have life. Life that was supernaturally and miraculously given to us by God. That's what your born again is. Born again being is. Reconciling us to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son the long-awaited Savior of all mankind, and reconciling because in the garden, God cut us off from our relationship with him because we disobeyed him, and you're going to hear about that later on in the gospel when it's preached today. Peter was reminding us of the very foundations of the gospel, the good news which is even now saving us from the wrath of God due to our sins. This is our hope in Christ, our new and living hope. In preaching today's text, I hope to use the preachings of that last sermon to show you that your living hope is becoming fuel for your spiritual fire, your spiritual fight against the world. It has become, is becoming, and will become your inheritance from the Father above. I hope to show you that this teaching is the beginning of the teaching of your assurance of your salvation, at least here in the first epistle of Peter. And before I go and read and preach today's text to you, I'd like to cite John Calvin, and I wholeheartedly agree, as saying, uh, and this is paraphrased, that the reason for Peter's writing this epistle is to encourage the saints through the scriptures into denying their worldly ways, and that after having been freed from their affections for the world and its evil ways, they would now be free to pursue the spiritual kingdom of Christ with their whole soul. For you, that would be your body and soul. You're not glorified yet. They would be lifted up or inspired by this new living hope or this inheritance. They would be filled with courage and perseverance, and that they would be able to make a practice of resisting sin and temptation for the rest of their early lives. That's paraphrasing John Calvin's introduction to the uh, first epistle of Peter, and that was the best one I found, so I'm giving that to you today. Totally agree. And by the preaching of the word today, I hope to ask and answer the following questions. Number one, what is the inheritance that Peter speaks of in today's text? That would be in verse four. How does this inheritance differ from an earthly inheritance? When does God give us the inheritance spoken of in today's text? And why is it so important, of course, that we know about this inheritance? 
So remember, saints, we're learning from the authoritative word of God alone here today. From the word of scripture, that would be what's written in the Bible, if you do not know these, these terms. Uh, not from the wisdom of man, which is folly to the great God of heaven and earth. Not with any eloquent training and methods of the speaker, obviously. Speaker up to here today has nothing at all to offer apart from the grace of God through his Holy Spirit. Turn to your text for today, would you? I'm going to read it aloud again. So whether you're on the front of the bulletin, and I'm fumbling back, or page 953 of the, of the Pew Bibles, um, you can read along with me silently as I read aloud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and now our central focus today, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. That's our text for today. Okay, so God Almighty, in verse 3, has given us a living hope. This is from my last message from God's Word from a couple of months ago. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's new life. That's what your living hope is. It is life. We were dead before, remember? Dead in our trespasses and sins. And of course, you can always pick that up on Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, to read about your spiritual death. The fact that you had no ability whatsoever, as it is written in many of the scriptures, including Paul's, he says, you have no ability even to listen to God and absorb his word, to take it in spiritually, to take it into your heart. It says we're now alive in the spirit of God with this new life. And Peter's going to tell us that we have an inheritance from God today. That we're born again into an inheritance from God. Which brings me to my first point and my first question today. What is the inheritance that Peter speaks of in verse 4 of today's text? So first I'd like to define an earthly inheritance. Now most of you know what this is. An inheritance, an earthly inheritance it is, comes in the form of a gift left to you, left behind to you. Uh, usually written into the will of some person, a family member in most cases, but it can be a dear friend, distant relative perhaps, who wishes to bless you upon his or her passing from this earth, upon them dying. It can come in the form of a monetary gift, a small or large portion of money, uh, maybe a piece of property, some home, some land perhaps, or maybe something more personal, some jewelry, furniture. So we, those who are passing from this earth, we leave behind something that had some intrinsic or personal value when we die. Uh, that death projected to be sometime in the future, well, we don't know what's going to happen to us and when the Lord's going to take this breath of life from us. And we leave it behind to either someone that meant a great deal to us here in our earthly home, or in some cases, maybe just someone we know and that they would appreciate using the item or the gift. So now let's compare that to the inheritance of the saints today. So what is the inheritance of the saints? 
Here in 1 Peter, especially in this text, and, and grammatically positioned, uh, Peter is using the word inheritance to refer back to or to define our living hope. That's in verse 3. And also forward to define or to seal the deal, if you will, to verse 5 where he states a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Referring to the time of our future resurrection of our bodies, rather, the final revelation of our future and completed salvation. This is the inheritance of the believer. There are many references that cite uh, in the Old Testament that cite inheritance from our great God uh, to the Israelites, the tribes of Judah, uh, inheritances of the promised land spoken of in the Old Testament. Um, that's real estate promised to them or their spiritual reigning over that territory uh, promised by God in accordance with his commands and in accordance with his words. Um, some of the scriptures that I'll cite today, Numbers 32, 19, if you want to write these down, Deuteronomy 2, 12, Deuteronomy 12, 9, and that's just scratching the surface. And let me quote a couple of those for you, Old Testament passages. Uh, referring to inheritance. Verse 1, uh, excuse me, Numbers chapter 32, verse 19. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, <coughs> excuse me, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. Or perhaps Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9. For you have not as yet Come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. And that one more kind of hits home with today's text. So even these Old Testament verses about the inheritance point to or prophesy about the future inheritance promised to the saints here in 1 Peter, the inheritance of our great salvation, the resurrection of our bodies to the life in the world to come, our life in heaven. Uh, there's, a, there's a tool. I didn't plan on doing this, but I wrote it in this morning. There's a tool in your, uh, in your ESV study Bibles, if you own that version. Not sure if it's in the, just the standard ESV Bible, and it's called History of Salvation in the Old Testament. It's a fantastic tool. It's in the back of your ESV study Bibles, and it shows you how to hook Old Testament passages of prophecy about the salvation in Christ. Shows you how to hook them to the New Testament. Again, that's history of salvation in the Old Testament, and it's in the back of your ESV study Bibles. Check that out if you get a chance. Getting back to our text today and going forward, Peter here is saying that our godly inheritance, as I'm calling it, is our living hope spoken of in the last sermon or in verse 3. It is our completed salvation the final resurrection unto new life in heaven. Our bodies then being glorified. Some of the scriptures say words like this, for we shall then be as Christ is, or Christ is now, which is glorified, perfect bodies. And after the last couple of weeks, I'm going to be looking forward to that. Uh, if you would have told me when I was a younger man that I, would, I could hurt in so many locations at once, I would not have believed you. And I don't have anything to complain about compared to some of you, but uh, I shouldn't anyway. 
Uh, here are some other New Testament passages which include us as heirs of God. First of all, right here in our text, 1 Peter, and I just quoted it a few minutes ago, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 5 says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our inheritance. This one's actually the crowning conclusion of our passage today, the defining passage of our inheritance in these passages. How about Romans 8.17, where it says we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So our, our earthly fathers, friends, relatives, they leave us these inheritances that are wonderful at the time, but they're passing away. What does God the Father have? What does he own that he could leave to us? Everything. Our future salvation. And First Peter 5, 4, and when the shepherd, excuse me, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That referring to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, when he comes again to harvest the souls of the unrighteous and destroy, excuse me, harvest the souls of the righteous and destroy the souls of the unrighteous. He'll be giving us our crown. We're going to refer to that in a minute. And this is also referring to our impending salvation, the final salvation. Here's Titus 3.7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Or James 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So for my second question and point today, how does this godly inheritance differ from our earthly inheritance? I want to make a comparison for you. Well, the answer is right in front of us. Our earthly inheritances can be, have been, are actively being, and will be destroyed by God Almighty. Our earthly inheritances can be, have been, are actively being, and will be destroyed by God Almighty. Some examples how about our earthly gifts? This is how certain they are to remain in trust for us. 1 John 2.17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Or 1 Corinthians 7.31, For the present form of this world is passing away. And he does mean the, the earthly, fleshy, physical form of the, of the world. It's passing away. We see that right in front of our, our eyes. It's on the news. They call it global warming or earthquakes or uh, tornadoes, uh, firestorms. We see all of that. Let me go outside the scripture for some examples for a few minutes, which, way, which by the way, are all covered by the scriptures. Banks crash. They don't have any money of their own. Banks have your money. Even when they invest, they're investing in other people's money and banks still not covered 
by the hand of man. Your monetary inheritances are not covered by man, not even by a living trust or the most thorough insurance policy that you can dream of. And the living God can and will cause the destruction of or thieves to steal. I'll add moths to destroy and rust to destroy. God can cause thieves to steal any mattress or safe containing cash or boxes containing valuables. I threw in a really old, old idea there. Uh, during the Depression, when the banks crashed, people were stuffing cash in the mattresses so that they would have some kind of money of their own, those who beat the banks before they crash. And we've heard of, even in our lives, people who are doing things like that, putting it in pillowcases, what have you, and safes in the wall. Houses and property will be destroyed by God through natural disasters, fires, you name it. Beginning with uh, Isaiah, beginning with chapter 40, uh, if you read that and just go forward in the 40s in Isaiah, you'll read about our sovereign God and his plans for this earth. And then finally, our physical bodies, the bodies of all human beings, are going to be destroyed by God Almighty at least once. And that because of our sin. That's our earthly inheritance. That's what we have. At best, it's insecure, temporal, even foreboding. Let's compare that to our heavenly inheritance. Let's see what kind of inheritance we have from God so that we can see the difference. For our answer, we're going to go back to our text today. So if everybody will pull that text up, I'm going to have you read aloud with me right now. Go back to our text for today, and that's 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. And kids, when we get to verse 4, if your parents are showing you the scripture, read verse 4 really loud. Can you do that? Especially those of you who graduated today. Okay, I'm there. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Let's read aloud together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now really loud. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Which of you kids saw, heard Pastor Jeff make a mistake there? I left some words out. Our inheritance, our salvation... Our living hope is imperishable. God will never destroy it. Our inheritance is undefiled. It has never been, is not now being, and can never be perverted by the evil one, by sin, or by anyone or anything else. I'm using the word perverted here to refer to the corrupting of anything which was meant to be holy and righteous, and was made to be evil through mankind by Satan. Take something good, and you twist it to mean something else. That's perverting it. 
Our inheritance is undefiled. Our inheritance is guarded by God. Verse 5. The only pure, most powerful, most feared, most joyous, most sorrowful, and the only perfect being there has ever been, God Almighty, whom nothing and no one, natural or supernatural, can ever overpower, is guarding your inheritance. It's right here in verse 5. It can never be perverted or snatched away by the evil one, Satan. 1 Peter 1.23 also defines this when it says that we have not been born again of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Our inheritance cannot be corrupted. It's being kept through faith. 1 Peter 1.5 Our inheritance is unfading. It does not wither away like dry grass in the heat nor like the emotional feelings of a man when he slips into unbelief for a time or never has been there. This emotional roller coaster that we have where we can be hurt and destroyed and then strengthened and then we're hurt again and then we're destroyed. Our inheritance doesn't fade away like manly manly things, earth-made things. Christians can be really confused about their inheritance, about their salvation. We enter into a season of doubt, weakened by feelings of faithlessness, sorrow, pain, sickness, the loss of a job, a loved one, or spouse, God forbid. And we let that beat us up worse than we ought. As dramatic as those things are and as deep as they cut, the scriptures say that we will be knocked down but not destroyed. If we don't know God truly especially if we don't keep up on our praying and meditating over his word, we could, and many do, begin to entertain thoughts that this once newfound faith is not what it used to be. We might even think we can lose our inheritance or our salvation, all of God's promises. But I guarantee you that if you truly walk away, you've never had the inheritance to begin with. And I don't say that to you today, unbeliever, to be cruel to you. I say it to be loving to you because your inheritance is not only guarded by God in heaven, but it's written about by God here on earth. That's what these words are for, to make you confident, to make you know that you have this salvation or to be challenged that you do not have the salvation and it would be foolish of you to withhold that information from a brother in the faith. Because it's his words, God's words, that save you. Romans 10, 17. You've got to be encouraged by his words. When we begin to walk away, we need to read Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 that says, You're saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is because the holy God of heaven favored you. Favor, unmerited undeserved favor. He just chose you. We don't fully know why. Perhaps he'll tell us when we get there. We don't know. It's enough for me just to know that we have that great salvation given to us by our God. So we begin to walk away. We can read Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, followed by these verses here in 1 Peter. Today, 
and then sing a resounding hymn of praise for their truth. In short, our godly inheritance, our salvation, or our living hope is eternal. It's perfect and holy. And our earthly inheritance is of flesh. It's corrupt. It's passing away. My third question that I want to be able to ask and answer today, when does God give the saints the inheritance spoken of in today's text? When does he give it to us? My answer is God's answer. I'm going to run a circle around the direct answer for a second here. I was warned about this. He planned to give it to you before he made the world. He gave it to you on the moment of your new birth. He planned to give it to you before the world. And you can check that out in Ephesians 1, 1 to 13. Today's text, though, 4 and 5, are mostly referring to the final resurrection of our physical bodies, that being how we define inheritance in today's text, 1 Peter. More specifically, after the second coming of Christ, when the final judgment has been made and all the saints will literally rise from their grave, I didn't know this fact in my old church. I didn't know that the bodies of the saints were actually all going to be risen. I thought it was just going to be this spiritual thing, picturing all these supernatural movies where you these floating apparitions. On that day, God will reveal to us fully our final completed salvation. That's what our text is talking about here today. Titus 3, 7, and James 5 that I wrote to you a moment ago, uh, read to you a moment ago, sets us up for that. It gives us hopeful anticipation. And verse 5 here in 1 Peter 1 seals the promise by telling us that our salvation will be revealed to us in the last time, that, that being the day of our resurrection. Jesus has made his final judgment. You're going to live with God in heaven, perhaps on the new earth. My fourth and final point today, I'm asking, why is it so important that we know about this inheritance? Because it begins to fulfill Peter's purpose, or God's purpose, in writing this epistle. It gives us, or begins to give us, complete assurance of our salvation our new and living hope. That is confidence that God has actually done this for us. Again, because it's written here in his word, and you, the saint, are supposed to be reading that word daily, men, daily, so that we might have fuel for the fight, our fight against sin, our endurance through God's sanctification of us, our true confidence that Christ will finish the good works that he once began in us. To do what John Calvin has mentioned to us in Peter's reason for the epistle, that we might spiritually rise above the world's wicked deeds and all of our thoughts and actions so that we can, as Paul would say it, keep the faith, run the race, or fight the good fight. So be exhorted, believer. We say that word a lot around here. Be educated and encouraged through the scriptures. How's that? 
Be educated and encouraged through the scriptures. That's what an exhortation is. Your God is with you. And if he's with you, no one or nothing can stand against you, also in the scriptures. And no one and nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is his favor of you. So my conclusion today, I'm going to try to give you only one conclusion. I heard that last sermon. Whoa. Is the gospel. So I've been preaching the gospel to you all along, but more in a way that a person who's already a believer can understand. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the basic concepts of the gospel to unbelievers who are here today or possibly those who are in doubt about what they believe. If you're an unbeliever, not sure of your belief about these teachings, the following words were put into my heart by God Almighty through his word just for you. They're a gift from God. Whether you end up believing or not, they're evidence that he loved the world so much that he gave up his only begotten son to be sacrificed for you. He planned on you being here today to hear them before he made the earth. There is a transcendently pure, sinless, powerful above all beings, merciful, but wrathful, forgiving yet just God. There's no love greater in the universe than his love. He created the entire universe, but his most beloved creation was you, mankind. 2019, men and women, sorry. He placed us here for his glory to be revealed in all the universe. Your purpose in life was to be to give him glory. That is your purpose in life. It's not your career. It's not even being good to your neighbors. It's to give God glory, which all those things could do if you're a saint. He gave you, that is all of us, everything we could need or desire and ask only one thing in return that we obey him. And he gave the first man and the first woman only one limitation. But that first man and that first woman were tempted by Satan and then lured by their desire, their new desire, and they fell to sin. God banished mankind from the loving relationship we had with him and made it so that every man and every woman born was born with the curse of having a sinful character. Though there was no sin in God, he is perfect and holy. He commits no sin, nor does he even tempt those of us to sin. So he made you born with a sinful character from which you could not rescue yourself. Being a just God... And he had originally promised death as a penalty for disobeying him. Not only physical death, but an eternal exile, exile from God's presence to a place that would include internal, eternal punishment due to our sin. At the same time, 
loving his dear creation, man, God promised a future remedy for our death penalty in order to reconcile us to himself. We talked about that today. He being a merciful and loving God, he sent his one and only son called Jesus. We call him the Christ. To come and live amongst us, to incur temptation, yet never sin, so that he would be regarded as a ransom in payment for the sins of all mankind. He was executed willingly in accordance with the Father's plan so that all who believed in him could be saved from the wrath of God the Father. This is God's gift to you today, these words. So that you may be saved. The book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17. If you've never read a Bible before, if you want to look that up, anyone around here will give you one of their many Bibles. I hope they will. Here, just have it. If anyone feels that he or she may have been converted by hearing this or any other true gospel message preached by the Bible at any church from a friend, whatever, come up after the service and talk to either uh, Pastor Greg Baltzer or myself or Pastor Greg Morrow back there so that you can be properly directed and being discipled in Christ to give you assurance and, and confidence that you may have have been saved or to direct you. <clears throat> Here at Veritas, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ and his life-giving sacrifice every Sunday by taking Holy Communion. So uh, we'll have men and women coming up the front in just a moment to serve you, and if you'll come up the center aisle, and receive the emblems and go down the side aisle afterwards and sit in your seat, uh, we'll take communion together. Communion here is for baptized believers and members of a local church. You can be visiting. If you're a member of a local church already, a Bible-believing church, and you know that you are a baptized believer, we welcome you. If you're not, we would ask that you would hold off. We don't say that to be cruel or exclusive. We would just want to sit with you first and talk to you about your salvation. So let me pray. Father God, I do praise you and I thank you. I thank you for delivering your words of truth. I thank you for using this vessel to do it. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for our salvation. I thank you that you've saved us. I thank you that you are saving us. I thank you that you will reveal to us in the last time that unfading crown of glory, our future salvation. I pray that the saints at Veritas have been and will be properly shepherded by these words today, and those who are lost will be saved. Pray these in the name of Christ. Amen.